so this week we kind of kick off um, another major section. We're probably going to be here um, for several weeks at, at minimum. I, I don't have an exact time frame that I'm kind of planning here. Um, to We're going to kind of do it in phases. So phase, phase one um, today in 1 Corinthians... Um, what I want, what I want us to get out of today is, and and th- I'm going to say I want us to get the significance of the resurrection. I want that to be something that really sits on us today. Is how significant it is, how central it is um, to everything that we believe as as Christians. Paul would go so far as to say here that if Christ is not raised, then all the the things that we do as believers pressing towards that call. Are, are in vain, right? Um, so it's it, this is this is a central doc, doctrine um, for us as believers. Um, so today we're going to kind of press into that, like the importance of, of of holding to this doctrine, the realness of this doctrine, and then next next week, if we get finished today, of course. Um, next week we'll kind of press into like like the nature of Christ's resurrection, like what did it look like. We'll, we'll look at you know various passages um, that speak to Christ after the resurrection and the nature of the body that He has. We're going to touch on some of that today, of course. Um, so next week, kind of the realness of it. I, I, I want that to kind of come out um, in that. So, um, so without further delay, let's just begin in First Corinthians chapter um, chapter fifteen. I'm just going to start in verse one. We're basically going to read through this. This entire um, chapter here revolves around the resurrection, the importance of the resurrection. There were some denying the future resurrection that we have, and Paul is kind of building up an argument here uh, that says if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, then you don't believe that Christ was raised, and if you don't believe that Christ was raised, then everything that you believe is foolish and in vain, right? Like that's kind of the the short and concise version of what he's kind of trying to push into here, and then he just kind of unpacks that along the way. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here it is in the next couple of uh, passages, we're going to kind of see this gospel that he's preached, that they've received, that they've believed, that they stand in, by which they're being saved. Um, For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So from this text, from, from verse 3 down to verse 8, what is what are some things that we can say about the Gospel that Paul's been preaching here? Like what's clear? That Christ died, was buried, and raised. That's easy, right? And this the the intention of this text, and, and one of the reasons that he puts it forward like this is that is that the central understanding of the gospel that they were preaching is not a complex one. Right? 
Yes, all of this is as the Scripture said, right? Like the unpacking of it, there's depth there, right? But, but there, are, there are simple principles that you just dive and plunge into. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he goes on to, set, to kind of list the different appearances that he had along the way. So one of the central things that I want us to get here is this was reality that they were preaching, right? This was not a thing that was not experienced. This was not a thing that happened in another realm that was beyond our like seeing and feeling and touching. Like, like we're going to look at as we kind of press on next week, like they took hold of His feet, right? Like they ate with Him. They touched Him. Like this, this was a real thing. So the gospel that they were, that they were preaching, that they were putting forward, like this is, like this is reality, right? Like they're, they're preaching the realness of this thing. And like as he begins, like he's kind of laying out here and then he starts to kind of unpack the significance of this. So we're going to kind of, uh, just kind of press on through the text here. Verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles. So, so speaking to the fact that he appeared to him last. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So something to, something to take from this as well. Is that the appearances, and I think we take this for granted sometimes because we just roll Paul very quickly into the group in the camp of the believers, right? So when we think of the, the appearances that happened um, after the resurrection, the people that Christ showed himself to were not only the people who had been following him previously. Right, so this wasn't it. It wasn't as though Christ raised and then only showed himself to his buddies, right? Because if you think about that, like Christ is raised, shows himself to his buddies. Like, what if what if Dustin and I were to get together and a friend that we used to know that died, we went around and started telling everybody that he was. Right, that like this guy raised. Well, maybe if we were trustworthy, you would believe us, but it would probably be a hard sell, right? Nobody else saw it. But here's the reality: the the person who writes a significant portion of the New Testament was an enemy of the cross, right? So when he shows up. And now this guy who was an enemy persecutor starts proclaiming and preaching the gospel even more weight to it. Because Paul had no predisposition to belief or, or, or propagating this lie, if it were a lie, right? What does Paul gain being a persecutor of the church now be becoming one who's persecuted, right? What does he have to gain? Lashes, struggles, strife, trials. A life, a life that none of us would want to live. Right? So, so this enemy of the cross, encountering the risen Savior, goes on to be the, the champion of the cross for the New Testament. Right? So this is what he's kind of putting forth here. I, for I am the last of these apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though, I was, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 
Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. What are they believing? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared. This is the gospel that's being preached, right? Now verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed raised from the dead, as He's laid for that argument already, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So this is why he's putting this forward, right? Some are saying there's no resurrection of the dead. Who are they speaking about when they're speaking here? Right? They're saying that that if your family member has died, they will not be raised. Like there's no resurrection of the dead. They're dead. Right? So Paul, with this with this being a teaching that's going around now, Paul's Paul's combating this, he's coming against this argument with the with the first fruits, right? Like the first fruits of the resurrection being Christ. So so this is kind of how he's basing this. He's laying out what the gospel is. The central truth of the gospel is not only that Christ died, but that he was raised on the third day, right? So how can some of you say, the end of verse 12, so how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 13, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So I want, I want us to get what he's doing here. He's linking the future resurrection of the dead with the resurrection of the dead that's happened already in Christ. Right, and as we're going to kind of press into this this risen Savior, we're going to start asking ourselves the question: Was Christ the first person that was ever raised from the dead? Right, there were there were those that came before him, but what's what's a, what's the significant difference between Lazarus's resurrection and Christ's resurrection? Christ raised Lazarus. But also, Christ's resurrection is a... It, like, you could look at, at what happened to Lazarus as a resuscitation even, right? Like, like, he was, like life was given back to him, but Lazarus died again, right? Yes, Jesus. Jesus is raised in a new kind of life, right? A life that we look forward to. So the resurrection for us is not simply us getting this life back. Right? Like, like you, you, you die and an ambulance gets to you close enough, they could bring you back so that you could die again one day. Right? Like we, we, can, we can bring people back short term from the dead now. Right? But we can't give people eternal life. There's some, something significantly different that we hope for in the resurrection than what you would hope for if someone with some paddles got to you quick enough, right? There's some significant difference here. And this is kind of where he's kind of pressing into this. So he's linking our future hope for resurrection with the resurrection that we find in Christ. Verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised in our preaching is in vain... And your faith is in vain. So how important is the resurrection? How important is the truth of your resurrection? He's linking your resurrection with Christ's resurrection to give support for your resurrection. And then he's saying, well, if you don't believe in that, then you can't believe in Christ. What is he doing there? He's, he's, he's starting to build this bridge to say the resurrection that we see in Christ is the resurrection that we ourselves hope for. Right? 
He uses the word first fruits here in a little bit. But what he's doing is he's, he's, he's helping construct this reality in your mind of what you ought to be hoping for. And then saying, if you, if you can't understand that, or if you deny that, then you deny essential doctrine that makes you a believer, period. Right? Your future resurrection in Christ is central. Because if you say it didn't, it does not happen, then you're essentially saying Christ was not raised. And if you're saying Christ was not raised, then what is it that you believe exactly? Like, like what is it that you're doing here? Right? Like it's fundamental. Our preaching is in vain without this resurrection. Your faith is in vain without this resurrection. Verse 15. And it gets even worse. So not only is it like is it um, like a waste of our time, but we're actually um, misrepresenting God Himself if this is the case, right? Verse fifteen. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that Christ that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised. Right? So, so Paul's building this argument for the resurrection in such a way that not only is it foolish for you to believe, but you are sinful and against God if the resurrection is not the case. Right? Like, you're, we have been misrepresenting God Himself because we say that He raised Christ, and if there's no resurrection, of course He didn't raise Christ. Verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Right? So central to your being made holy, being sanctified, being justified, is the fact that Christ is raised. Which leads to the fact that you will be raised. Right? Like, like these realities are joined in a way that you can't take one away without the other, right? Like our resurrection hope is sure and fixed in Christ, right? And if all of that is gone, we're misrepresenting God, we're still in the sins that we claimed to be forgiven for if Christ is not raised. Right? Not only is your faith in vain, but, but think about it. What is your faith in Christ for? Hope? For redemption? Well, that's lost. If there's no resurrection, your hope for redemption is lost. Go back to sacrificing. Right? But we've already laid the groundwork that those sacrifices only remind you of a need for a redeemer. They don't do the work of redeeming you. So go back to that system that looks forward to a hope that's now not Represented if there's no life in Christ, right? If there's no resurrection. Verse, verse 18 here. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. I mean, he just kind of keeps, like, I love the way that he approaches this because it's like he just keeps, like, mounting it up, like, piling on top, piling on top, so that, so that, like, he wants you to fully understand and grasp what it is that you're rejecting and all that you're rejecting if you're rejecting a, a, a resurrection and ultimately the resurrection of Christ. There, he says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So, did you think about that? Like, if that's kind of what he's saying. Like, did you think about, so like, not only are you, not only if you're rejecting this, are you rejecting your hope, 
Right? Not only is your faith in vain, not only are you still in your sins, not only are you misrepresenting Christ, but all those that you've loved that have perished and gone ahead of you have in fact perished if there's no resurrection from the dead. Right? So, so get out of your mind that this separation from the body and dying is a good thing. Right? Get that out of your mind because they have in fact perished. Not that they're in like a better place, right? Not that they've gone on to, to, to like join themselves or be united with the energy force behind the universe. No, no, no. If they've died and Christ is not raised, they will not be raised. They have perished. You've seen them for the last time. They are no more. You might as well accept materialism or naturalism and we are just matter and energy moving through the universe. And when you stop, you stop, right? Don't be sad about it. Why are you sad about, you know, like, like rocks if they were to get crushed? Because you're effective, like, you're essentially no different than that, right? Like, these are the conclusions that you would come to if you reject the resurrection. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are people most to be pitied. Again, like, continuing to kind of mount on top of things, this, like, it's just foolish and ridiculous and sad that you would believe in any of this if you, if you reject the resurrection. Just get, right? Like, like, as believers, you think about how sad the hope that we have is if we reject that Christ was raised. So, uh, your faith is no better than putting it in any mortal man. Right? They all die. We all die. It's, it's just sad. Like, that's what, he's, that's what he's saying here. Like, come on, guys. Like, get it in your head that if you reject the resurrection hope that you have, you're rejecting that Christ was raised. And if you're rejecting that, like, it's really foolish to just keep going on like this. Like, like you're going through this. Your life is going to be rough. You're going to be persecuted for believing this. Right? And then you're gonna sit there and say that there's there's that your king is in fact dead. Because what if he's not raised, what is he? Right? Right? He's just like all the other kings. He's all he's like all the other fake messiahs that came before him. And after him. And after him. Because right? There are so many people who believe just this. Yes. If you don't know one personally, you need to get outside your circle and meet Yeah. And talk with them because they do believe this. They yeah. do believe that there is nothing after this. Yeah. And they are the most hopeless people I know. Yeah. Like they are some of the smartest people I've ever met. Yeah. But they literally have no hope. And they're so confused and trying to figure out the world. And they say we are foolish. Yeah. Because we have a hope. That's true. Not just like, yeah. faith is the substance of things. Not you know, it's like evidence. Right. Like, we believe because yeah. we saw him. Five hundred people. And that's what he's laying out, right? Like he's laying out a real like like this is this is not like a myth that was made up, right? Right. And that's like them of all people of all people. 
Right? Like, like you're, you're, you're very close to these events in history. Right? Like, I'm looking at the Corinthian church. Like, you're very close to these events in history. Like, you can speak to people that saw this man alive after he was dead. How could, like, I will give, I will give more leniency to people 2,000 years from the cross. Right? Because it's like, we're way distanced from these events. But they were, they were contemporary as far as their life with the life of Christ. And now they're, they're failing to believe. Like, what are we doing is the, is the question here. Like, wh- like, what do you think it is that we're preaching? Right? Like, like, wh- like as, as we're preaching and the gospel's going forth, what message is it do you think that you're hearing from us if it's not resurrection? Right? That's why he lays out in, in verses 3 um, through 8 there this very clear picture of what the gospel is that they're presenting. Right? Because it's Christ died for our sins, like it's all like like centers around death and resurrection. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. He was buried. He was raised the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then He appeared, right? As someone who was raised would do. Right? And He lists this out. This is a very real thing. And He's like, y'all are, y'all are rejecting this? And he, he just kind of, I mean, you can tell that he's, that he's, um, that this idea to him, it just like, it doesn't sit well at all. The way that he, he really just kind of goes at it. Um, verse, verse 20, he, cause he continues on. Um, so after piling up and piling up and piling up the foolishness that it would be to even call yourself a believer, um, if, and, and then in the same breath say that Christ wasn't raised from the dead. Verse 20, he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? What is first fruits? Right? Does anybody know what that, like, like what's the analogy that he's trying to put together there? Right? So clearly we've seen thus far that he's trying to link our hope in resurrection or the hope for the resurrection with the resurrection of Christ, right? Like that's been the that's been the connection that he's making thus far. Right? So here he's using this term first fruits. Which is like, if, if, if you were one who raised crops, and we're, we're not in that kind of society, like most of us are, are not farmers, so it's a, a connection that can be kind of difficult for us to like, like put two and two together here. But the idea of first fruits is, is that you would go out into the harvest, you would take some fruit, and this would show you or give you an idea of what the harvest would look like as a whole, right? It's a sampling to give you an idea of, like, should we be preparing for other things? Because if we go and get kind of the first fruits of what's budding and it, it looks like trash, then maybe we are going to be hungry as this thing presses on. But if we look at this and, and, and we can see that, it, that, that things look good, the harvest is going to come in good is what, we're, is what we're looking for, right? So the idea is that you can look towards the first fruits to get an idea of what the harvest looks like, Right? Christ is the first fruits, right? He is the thing to look towards if you're asking the question, what does my hope look like, right? What does my hope look like? What does your hope look like in the future, 
And this is like a question that like, as we press into the resurrection, this, I want us to consider this genuinely and truly. Like when you think about your hope for eternity, what does it look like? It ought to look like Christ, right? So as we're, as we're asking ourselves the question, what does the future look like? We ought to look towards the first fruits. This is what Paul's putting this idea forward here, right? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, right? Resurrection Israel, He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by, by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. So if we're considering what does our resurrection look like, um, we look to Christ. We look to the. We look to all the examples that we have of of Him after the resurrection, and we can we can pull from that um, ideas of what our hope might um, entail. Right. Verse 24. Um, so, um, verse 23. I'm just going to go back through that again. Um, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. then it is coming those who belong to Christ. That's us, right? That's the church. Verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God after destroying every rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Verse 27. For God has put, and we're going to kind of just blast through this text here until we get kind of down towards the 30s. Um, For God has put all things in in subjection under His feet, but when it says all things are put into subjection, it is plain that He is um, that He is accepted. um, Yeah, accepted who. Um, put all things in subjection under Him. When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. Verse 29, Otherwise, what do people really mean baptizing on the behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised, why are all people baptized on their behalf? Um, why um, Why are we in danger every hour? Uh, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have knowledge of God... uh, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. But some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So I want us to, to kind of start uh, picking these particular verses apart here. Um, so now we're starting to get, um, as, 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 as he's, just, he's going to kind of go into some detail describing um, this resurrection body or giving us some some ways to think about um, this resurrection life and I want us to pay I want us to pay attention to this so um, verse 35 but some will ask and of course we will ask right like we want to know what this thing's like um, how are the dead raised with what kind of body do they come and here's where like I would I would look back to Christ being the first fruit and I think Paul's doing that as he kind of unpacks this. Um, verse 36, O foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So again, kind of this, this idea of um, kind of harvesting and planting. 
Verse 37, What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. Right. So I want us to have this picture in our mind, like as he's laying out these analogies, like when you plant a seed in the ground, the seed is dead, right? I mean, clearly there's some type of life that bursts forth from this, but the thing that rises is not the thing that you put in, right? But there's continuity between the two. Do you all know what I mean when I say that? Is that if you don't put the seed in the ground, the, the, the harvest does not come, right? It is from the seed that, you've, that the harvest kind of springs forth, right? So though they're different bodies, one being a seed and one being the, the fruit of that seed, one links to the other, right? So like there's a connection between the two. So in, in our resurrection, there's a connection between the life that we live, the body that we have, and the body that we will have in the resurrection, right? Don't plant a corn kernel and grow a daisy. Exactly, yes, yes. You, you, can, you can anticipate what will burst forth from the ground when you plant the seed, so long as you plant the right seed, right? right. <laughs> like if you plant, if, if you're like Dad, was, was it Dad planted like, he planted squash, but he thought he planted okra? <laughs> Right, <laughs> something like that. But it's like, what happens when it bursts forth out of the ground, and you realize that you got okra? You don't say to yourself that <laughs> that that seed was a squash seed. And now, like, right, like, oh, I planted the wrong seed, <laughs> right? Why can we do this? Because there's that continuity between what we plant and what comes out, right? So this is the idea that he's that he's kind of putting out here. Um, verse thirty, verse thirty-eight. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one for humans, and another for animals, and another for birds, and another for fish. So he, here he's just kind of kind of building up this idea that that we that we all have a different like nature to us, right? Um, that that you know, like people have people babies and birds have bird babies and you know that that kind of thing. Like like kinds bring forth their their kinds. They don't bring forth other kinds, right? Like that's kind of the general the general idea here. Um, so that will be that will be preserved in the resurrection, right? Like, is he speaking towards like the idea that like was there a religious belief back then that if when people died are reincarnated as like that you would come back as something else? Not, like is he speaking to? I don't know if this particular case is is like a, an argument towards that. It definitely, I think those views have probably been around as long as people have been making up their their thoughts about reality. Yeah, yeah. Now, whether or not this particular this particular text is speaking towards that view, yeah, yeah, that would be the that would be the. Yeah, I think this argument I think this argument could be used in that context. I I don't know that he's doing any more than than trying to to build up the idea that there's there's continuity between this life and the next, right? I think that's probably the underlying reality. Like it's different. But similar, right? Like it's different, but similar. Just like Jesus after the resurrection was different, but similar, right? Like his friends knew him, right? Like they looked at him, they ate with him, they they spent time with him, they spoke with him. Like it was different, but similar, right? 
And that's the point that he's kind of getting across here. And this is here's we're, we're about to hit a particular text that I want us to put, pay close attention to because I think if we don't read like the before and after, that this one can be a little bit a little bit strange to understand. Like if we were to just take verse forty and just let it stand on its own without verse forty-one, I think it would be um, somewhat confusing. So verse forty says there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. So uh, uh, like standing on its own, we would think like when we tend to think about that, we tend to think about about like the body that I have, and then the and then the body that we will have, right? That's a, he's not made that jump yet, right? And we know that because the next verse that he that he um, we we have cl- clarifies what he means when he's talking about earthly bodies and heavenly bodies, right? Um, so he says in verse forty, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one and the glory of the earthly one um, is is of one kind and the glory of the earthly one is of another, right? So verse 41, he, he gives some clarity to this. There's one glory of the sun. So, so when he's speaking of heavenly bodies, like we think of like spiritual bodies, right? He's not got to the spiritual body talk yet, right? So I want us to be careful not to, not to force that, that particular verse into like a, 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 a spiritual body. Like he's talking about like, like the sun, the moon, the earth, right? Like, like the thing, like, like he's using, he's using the, that when he says heavenly body here. Um, so verse 41, there's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for star differs from star in glory, right? So when he's talking about earthly and heavenly, he's talking about, um, he's talking about the stars and, and just like the, the galaxy, the universe, right? Like, um, that's the point that he's getting to there. And then he says in verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, right? So, so what does he mean when he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead? That there are, that there, there are just as with um, the things that we sow, just as with the, the bodies that we have, just as with the, um, and, and the varying of the kinds and the types and the glory of each, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, right? This is and so now he's kind of pressing into that a little bit more. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. So here's here's where we're getting into those those differences between the 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 one and the other. So when we think about when we think about Christ's body, Christ's body prior to the cross could pain could be inflicted upon it. Um, death could be the ultimate end of that pain. Right? It was a he had a perishable body prior to the resurrection, right? After the resurrection, that changed in a major way. Christ's body will not die now, right? Like he is imperishable. And we too, we too, this is the hope, right? Because this is the connection that he's making between um, Christ's resurrection, us being the harvest of that of which he's the first fruits, um, where he was perishable, we are also perishable, but now he's imperishable. So the hope that we have is that our bodies, the bodies that we will be given in the resurrection, will be imperishable. We will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, right? It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So if you want to know the differences, if you want to dive into the differences between the body that you have now prior to your death and hope for future resurrection and the body that you will have then, perishable to imperishable. 
dishonor to glory, weakness to power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So what does it mean there? What does it mean natural body and spiritual body? The words that are used here that, that we get natural body and spiritual body, this is the, the force that drives you. You are now carnal minded. Right? Even though that, even though that you have, like, you're in the process of your mind being renewed by the Spirit every day, your nature tends towards the carnal. Right? This is why it's such a struggle for us to keep our eyes and minds fixed on Christ. Because the body that you have now is carnal. And it's driven carnally. Right? That's the natural body. Right? When we talk about the spiritual body, we're not talking about ghostly body, right? Like that's not the point that he's trying to get across here. He's talking about a physical, real body, but where your body drives you and tends you towards sin now and the Spirit pulls you the other, the body that you will have in the resurrection is one fully empowered by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit, right? That's what I'm that is, that is, so there's a, so, so, exactly. We all understand, we all know the struggle with the spirit within and the flesh without, right? This old man dies, finally, and real. And the new body that we're given, we're not tied and anchored into that old man anymore, right? That is every believer's hope. Where they are. If they're struggling in sin, yeah. like we don't pound them on the head. We say, there's a hope yeah. to look forward. There's going to be a day. Yeah. You know, when you don't struggle with this anymore, and that's the part that sets you free. Yeah. How many of you have ever wondered or thought to yourself, I don't know how I could be free in heaven and not sin? Like you don't know, right? Yeah. Because you know so well what it's like for God to let you go about your business here. Right? So how could he not enslave you there? Right? And you still not go off and sin. The hope is, is that the body that you're so comfortable in now dies. And the body that he gives you in the resurrection does not tend in that direction. Right? Right, you're less likely. <laughs> you're less likely, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it limits us, right? Because if you can box me into certain criteria, then then I'm less likely. But here's the reality: y'all have y'all have been alive long enough to know that you can very well sin in church. <laughs> and if you say you can't, well, you're doing it right now, you liars. <laughs> but the hope is, is this resurrection body is not driven carnally. It's not this natural body that we know, but it's raised a spiritual body. There's, a, he says, he says here, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first name, the first man Adam became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And 
um, verse 48, As the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so shall we also bear the image of the man of heaven. Like this is the hope, right? Like he's working this spiritually in us today, but one day completely and fully, right? Completely and fully, we will bear the image of Christ. So that your will is to do the will of God completely, fully, without fail. You will be more free in heaven than you are now. Right? Because you will be freed from that body that wants to drag you back into the life that you once lived. And like right? the way we do now is even the things that are gifts from God that we enjoy, we tend to begin to worship those things yeah. or let them take us down roads that are not good. Yeah. And in heaven, everything for our enjoyment will be in a per- perspective that Jesus is king and our hearts want nothing more. Yeah. Like all the things we enjoy, we'll be able to enjoy them the right way yeah. without being tempted to sin with those gifts. Yeah. Like that, to me, that just blows my mind. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful reality. And I think it's, like, it's, more, it's more real than I think we could ever, we could ever, ever hope for. So I'm going to just read through the last eight verses here. Um, verse verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So again, here will be another one of those places where we're like, well, how, that's confusing to me, Landon. Like, what does it mean and when it says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of, of, of God? Clearly, like if you look at the way that we live, our flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We needed Christ to do that for us. But I would say, go look at Luke chapter 24, verse 39, where Jesus says to them, look, you see that I have Flesh, that I'm flesh and blood, not like a spirit, right? Like this is post-resurrection. So um, what he means here is not that this body is is not flesh and blood, but that the work needed to come from the man of heaven that he's speaking to um, in the the verses preceding this. Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Then the perish- when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I want us to get this, that he, that this, this, this idea of continuity, this idea of what you plant tells you what's going to, to come forth. This is all of this that he's saying, all of this hope in the resurrection. He's laying your work today on this. Right? You can know that your labor here is not in vain. Because of all of this that's, that he's put forward already, right? This is what he's like. He's ends this. He's ending this thought with this, right? Like this resurrection thought. Therefore, so because of all of this, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, right? And this, all the work that you do, all the work that you do for Christ is not in vain. 
right? Those who you take the gospel to who have not heard it and who believe, they do not perish when they die. The gospel continues and has continued from their time to today because of that reality, right? This hope of the resurrection has driven this belief throughout all the world till it's come to us here. And it will continue to do so. And all that work will not go forgotten. It will not be put away. Your efforts will not be swept away one day to be forgotten. But in the resurrection, in the hope that we have, in the continuity between this life and the next, your labor will not be in vain. Um, so we'll, we'll close there and then um, we'll pick back up with resurrection, um, probably looking through various places in the gospel next, next week.